Welcome to the Painesville Assembly of God podcast. We're always encouraged to know God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending us an email at info at Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. What does the Lord require of you? He is showing you, O oh man, what is good. What does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So that's, that's what we've been talking about. So this has been one of our base paths of Scripture. Another one uh, that we've been looking at over the last three weeks is we've been talking about what does it mean to do justly? What is justice? What is, what is the God of justice? And I encourage you to go back if you missed week one, uh, and uh, we just did a real scriptural uh, highlight of a God who's the God of justice. Uh, and then we talked about loving mercy. What does it mean to love mercy? And then last week, we talked about walking humbly with your God. And uh, Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23 is where we get our title of the message series from. Jesus was addressing the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the, the scribes. They were the people that knew the word of God. They knew the Old Testament law. They, they understood the Old Testament law, the prophets. They were supposed to be experts in that. And, uh, and as a result, Jesus said, you know, there are some things that you have counted as important. There are some things that you've really highlighted, but there are also some things that uh, you've been missing uh, in your life. Matthew 23, starting in verse 23, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Nobody likes to be called hypocrites, Right? For you pay the tithe of the mint and the anise and the cumin, but have neglected the weightier matters of the law. What are the weightier matters of the law? Justice and mercy and faith or faithfulness. Faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others, all right? Without leaving the others undone. So in other words, the things that you were doing are not bad. They're in the law. They are the things that you're supposed to do. However, in doing those things, you've so majored in those things that you've minored in some things that I believe are weightier matters, justice and mercy and faithfulness and faithfulness. And as we look at that, he comes to the end and he said, blind guys who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. This has to do with the tithe of the cumin and the mint and the dill. What they would do is, is they would literally sort through these things. And if there was the tiniest speck, the tiniest gnat, the tiniest thing, they would screen it out. And they were so meticulous at doing that. And yet Jesus says, there's a camel that you keep letting go. In other words, there's an elephant in the room. <laughs> you might say it that way. There's an elephant in the room that we need to address. You have done these acts of righteousness, but you've fallen behind on some of these things that are really weightier. Justice and mercy and, and, and faithfulness, or and as Micah 6, 8 said, walking humbly with your God. What does the Lord require of you? And so uh, what we might say when he said blind guides is, is that these religious leaders had blind spots. Blind spots. The blind spots are very real. And, and, and scientifically speaking, there are, there are physical blind spots, but I want to let you know that according to this passage of Scripture and others, there are spiritual blind spots that we have sometimes. The Pharisees and the scribes and the religious leaders of the day had some spiritual blind spots. Now, what do I mean by blind spots? Anybody that's ever been driving on the highway or a two-lane road or four-lane road where you could, you got a car that's going a little bit slower and you want to pass them and you go to get in the other lane to pass them, what are you supposed to do? What are you trained to do? You're trained not to just trust your mirrors, but to do what? A head check, right? Why? Because your mirrors may not always tell you if there is a vehicle that is there because the vehicle has a 
blind spot. Similarly, if you were to take a, a, a card and you were to put a dot on one side and an X on the other, if you focus on the X and bring the card forward, all of a sudden you will find that the dot disappears. Why? Because there are blind spots. Now, spiritually speaking, we have these blind spots, and there was a, a study that was done by some researchers at the University of Toronto and James Madison University in Virginia, and they proved something that we might already know, and that is this. They concluded that we often cut ourselves more slack than we give others. How many of you would say that's the case? Right? No surprise. A guy by the name of Jonah Lear in The New Yorker explains why we do this. He claims that we have bias blind spots because there's a mismatch with how we evaluate others and how we evaluate ourselves. Lear writes this, when considering the irrational choices of a stranger, for instance, we are forced to rely on how they behave, the external. We see their biases from the outside, which allow us to glimpse their errors. However, when assessing our own bad choices, we engage in elaborate introspection. We study our motivations. We search for relevant reasons of why we did the things we did. We lament our mistakes to therapists and ruminate our beliefs away that led us astray away. As an example, uh, driving. How many of you know that if you are late or you've fallen behind or, you know, you got to get somewhere, you got to, you, 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 you start to speed, how many know what I'm talking about? Sometimes you just, you know, you put the pedal to the metal and, and, uh, and sometimes, you know, if it means that I've got to speed up a little bit to cut somebody off because I can't behind them because they're just too slow and, and all of that, I, I have reasons for why. I'm running late or I've got an important appointment or I, man, I, I do that. But let somebody else cut you off and what do you go? My goodness, they're a jerk. What a terrible driver. Right? We make no allowance that perhaps they're running late, but for ourselves, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt based on the information we have. And oftentimes, we have blind spots in our lives to even our own, uh, the, the things even in our own lives that we don't see. It's called giving a benefit of the doubt. As I've been pressing into the Lord throughout this entire season and everything that's going on, I found myself continually amazed as I read Scripture and I look in God's Word at His mercy. You know, unlike others of his day, Jesus went out of his way to, to reach those who were marginalized. He broke away from the cultural separators of his day, and he demonstrated mercy to others who were far away from God. Those that others stayed away from, Jesus went to. And so today, I want to look at John chapter 4, and we're going to take a look at three principles for showing mercy, three principles for showing mercy. Mercy. In John chapter 4, Jesus and his disciples, uh, they have been camping out in, they're in, in, in traveling in John chapter 4, but before this, they were camping out, they were starting their ministry in, they were in the region of Judea. In fact, last week we looked at a passage of scripture where it talked about Jesus and his, and his followers baptizing people in the Jordan River, not far from where John the Baptist was, and how when there was some competition, when there was people that were going to where Jesus was, John said, I'm must decrease, but he must increase. We talked about the attitude of humility as an attitude of looking to the needs of others above ourselves and also that Jesus Christ is glorified above anything else. We talked about that last week. Well, because of the popularity that was growing, Jesus says, you know what? If I stay here, I'm near Jerusalem. They, they are so suffering under Roman occupation. They're going to try to have a revolt. They're, they're, they're going to come here and they're going to want to elevate me to be king and it's not the time. 
And so he said, you know what? We got some ministry to do in Galilee. And Galilee was in the northern area of Israel. Judea was in the southern area of Israel. And, uh, and right in between was this region called Samaria. Now, Samaria is where the Samaritans were. And the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. In fact, there was much racial tension. There was hatred between them. And they didn't get along. And so the best way that they would handle it is to try to stay away from each other. Ever had conflict where the best way is just to stay away from somebody? So literally, even though it was a longer journey, people who were journeying from Judea to Galilee or Galilee for Judea would literally, if they were good Jews, uh, according to the, in quotes, they would literally go around Samaria rather than go through Samaria so they could avoid those people, those people. When you find yourself using those people language, Houston, we have a problem. There are us people and there are those people. Be careful with that language, just saying. That's extra. That's not in my notes. Anyway, so, he, so they have this travel. And, and what we find is when it comes to the Samaritans, again, why was there such animosity? Well, when they, years and years, hundreds of years before, the Israelites were taken captive by the Assyrians. And when the, the northern tribes of Israel were taken captive by the Assyrians, they left a group behind, the poorest of the poor, and they forced them to intermarry uh, with, with others who were non-Jewish to try to snuff out their race. And as a result of that, you had people who were half Jewish and who were half Gentile. And so the Jewish folks, when they had returned back from exile, said, when we're rebuilding the temple in Jerusalem, you can't be a part of it. You're not pure. You can't be a part of it. There was great tension. Sanballat and Tobiah, Nehemiah, if you look at that, and Ezra, when they were rebuilding the walls, rebuilding the temple, it was the Samaritans that were coming along, that were coming against them from coming back and rebuilding and sending false reports. So there was all kinds of conflict that had come up. And because the temple was in Jerusalem, they decided, we don't want our people to go to Jerusalem. We're not doing that. We're not, we can worship right here where we're at. And so there created some religious tension between them, some racial tension between them, and they would just avoid each other. And so here we have Jesus going north, and Jesus doesn't avoid them. In fact, John chapter 4 and verse 4, and he had to pass through Samaria. In other words, the, the words here is, is that he, he must pass through. If you take a look at this, that, that's really what the language is. There was something compelling Jesus to not go around, but to go through Samaria at, because there was someone in need of mercy. The first principle to showing mercy is this. Mercy begins by looking and listening for people's needs. Looking and listening for people's needs. How many of you know we have a world that is in need today? We have a world that's in need today. And, and, the, and as believers in Jesus Christ, to demonstrate mercy, we've got to open up our eyes and open up our ears and learn how to see the need that is before us. Look at John chapter 4, starting in verse 5. The story continues. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into town to buy food. I want to highlight something about the humanity of Jesus. He's tired. He's thirsty. He's probably hungry from the journey. That's the humanity side of Jesus. Again, Jesus was fully man, fully God. I want to just, just highlight that. That's a point that we, that we want to see. 
And while they are gone, a Samaritan woman comes out, and Jesus asks her for a drink. Now, you say, well, what's the big deal about that? I don't understand. What's the big deal? If he has a woman for a drink. She's by the well. He doesn't have anything to draw from, and she points that out. She said, sir, you have nothing to draw from. But beyond that, this was a cultural no-no. Number one, because Jews and Samaritans didn't get along. They stayed away from each other. They didn't talk to each other. Secondly, because he was a Jewish man, she was a Samaritan woman. Men and women, you, if they were not, you didn't do that. This was a, a no-no, and it, so, it shocks her. And in verse 9, she says this. The Samaritan woman said, you're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She said, you broke the cultural norm. Who, why are you asking me this? And why does Jesus do this? Is it simply because he's thirsty? No. It's because he's paying attention. And he understands that there's a thirst inside this woman that goes beyond a physical thirst, and it really goes beyond his own. And he's willing to begin to open up a conversation and look beyond the obvious of a situation to see what is going on on the inside. Rather than keep his head down, rather than ignore What's going on? He chooses to engage her in conversation because he wants to demonstrate mercy to her. This is the response he has. Jesus asked her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Living water. Now, you got to understand at this point, she's not quite understanding. She's like, okay, I think this guy's a little cuckoo here, all right? You know, in fact, she says, you have nothing to even draw from. Where are you going to get this living water from? What are you talking about? Because I want this living water, so give it to me. Give me a drink, but you have nothing to draw from. She's like, what is going on here? And what's going on here is that Jesus says, listen, there is something in your life that you need beyond just this well, beyond just this physical water, beyond what's going on. There's something more going on inside that you need, a deeper need. It's not a coincidence, this is a divine appointment. A divine appointment. What I want you to understand is this, if we're going to be a people of mercy, and if we're going to represent Christ to a world who desperately needs to be reconciled to Christ, then we need to open up our eyes and we need to begin looking and listening to people's needs. What's going on beyond the outside? Friends, I gotta be honest with you, sometimes that's what we get focused on. We get so focused on the outside. We get so focused on their reaction or we get so focused on on what's happening on the outside. We focus on all these outside things and we're missing the need that's really going on on the inside. In fact, when Jesus' disciples return with food, they want Jesus to eat. They're concerned about the business at hand. They had gone in, they had gotten groceries, so to speak, and, and they were ready to eat. We're hungry. Jesus, you're hungry. We've got to eat. But look at what Jesus says to them. He says, listen, you're missing something. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields for they are ripe for harvest. Can I be honest with you? We have a world today that's full of a lot of need that's ripe for harvest. The problem is we're focused on the wrong things. We're focused on the wrong things. I'm going to share my heart for a moment, all right? This is, this is the heart of your pastor for a moment. I am angry at the enemy. I'm angry at the devil. You know why? Because one of his greatest tools is distraction. It's distraction. It's to get us to get our eyes off of what the real problem is 
and to get ourselves fixated on things that are not the problem. And unfortunately, he's winning. What I witness and what I see going on in his church, Big C, is not the family of God that is turning to show mercy and to minister and to open up their eyes to opportunity, but rather, I see a lot of believers, I won't say everybody, I won't do the all thing, but I see a lot of people who've been distracted by the wrong things. This is not going to lead me to hell or to take the mark of the beast. We don't know what suffering is. What's really been violated is the God of comfort. I'm not going to argue about whether this works or doesn't work or or whatever. I'm not going to argue about who should be president, who should be in our government. We need to pray for our president. We need to pray for our governor. But quite frankly, believers... If we get focused on this, we will build walls to people who are desperately in need of Jesus because they won't see Jesus. All they'll see is our angry protests and our anger and and all of our arguing and all of our this and that. Do I know if this is a big conspiracy? Some of you are so convinced of that, you know. I don't. I see around the world people who are hurting and who are devastated. I see people who are hurting when their economy They've lost their jobs, and they could care less what you believe about a stupid mask or who you believe ought to be in the White House. They are looking for people who want to point them to Jesus Christ and love them. And quite frankly, the enemy has got our eyes on the wrong things. Our eyes are on the wrong things when it's an opportunity for God's church to shine by opening up our ears beyond the outward focus and beginning to get to the heart of what's really going on in people's lives. That's what Jesus has called us to do. That's where Jesus would be. Jesus would be at a well. Jesus would be at a coffee shop. I know we can't go in there and sit too much. Jesus would be where the people are and where their needs are at, looking beyond the outward of what's going on going on and seeing the need in their heart, looking and listening. But mercy begins by looking and listening. Unfortunately, our eyes are on the wrong things. Secondly, mercy's messy. It's not easily offended. You know, that's what it says in, in 1 Corinthians 13. You know, we get so offended. You're gonna, you, there's a lot of things to get offended by. And if you're so offended by sin and by a world, listen, I'm offended by believers who know better and are still acting this way. That's what offends me. Unbelievers who don't know Christ, if you don't know Christ, you're an unbeliever and you're sinning, that's what you do because your eyes are blind to the truth of what God's word says. I'm not trying to say that with all love, all right? But it's the truth. I don't expect you to act like a believer if you haven't been born again and your heart hasn't been changed. If your heart's been changed and you say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, then I expect to see the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. If we did an examination, is that what we would see that's come out of our mouths in conversations? If that, is that what we would see that has come out of our fingers and what we post on social media? Does it reflect the fruit of the Spirit? Come on. I know. I'm saying this with all, I'm really, I really am trying to say this with all love because it is really bothering me. It's really bothering me. I'm, I'm not in my notes, so just, you know. It's messy. Some of us are so offended by unbelievers, we can't reach them because we can't get past it. We can't get to the heart. 
Listen, Jesus gets to the heart. I want to just continue the story. I got to get back to where I'm going. John 14, verse 16. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands and the man that you are with is not your husband. What you just said is quite true. And you go, whoa, Jesus, like that's harsh, man. How is that mercy? Well, number one, we speak the truth in love. But number two, you really can't, you can't, you can't really change and come to know Jesus unless you're confronted with the truth of your situation. All right, but let's not be quick to judge here, all right? I know that this looks like, man, such a sinful past. Look, she's, she's been in relationship after relationship, broken relationship, and now she's currently in an adulterous relationship. Man, this is just, this is bad news, Jesus. Like, come on, like, get it right, lady, get it right. But you got to understand, there is something more that's going on here. And, and, and as I was reading this, it just, even a little while ago, a couple months ago, the Lord just really spoke to me something different as I was in another passage of Scripture. And that is this, culturally speaking, who was the one who was able to issue a certificate of divorce? In the Bible, and in culturally speaking, it was not the man, or I mean, it was not the woman, it was the man. In our culture, anybody can, both sides can go to the courts, they can do that when it comes to that. In this culture, it was the man who was allowed to issue a certificate of divorce. If you don't believe me, look at Matthew chapter 19 and verse 7, All right, write it down. What's going on here is, and, may, and this woman, I'm not excusing, she probably had some issues, but beyond that, you have a vulnerable woman in a society that can't make a living for herself and needs to come under the covering of somebody else, and man after man after man marries her, abuses her, and then sends her out, and the next one comes, and she gives herself to the next one, and he does the same thing. Rejection, rejection, rejection. Now she's in a relationship where this man doesn't even have the decency to marry her. He's just using her. There's hurt. There's pain. And Jesus is trying to get at that pain and that hurt because he wants to show her, listen, I want to demonstrate mercy to you. We know that she acknowledges that Jesus has touched a nerve in her past because in verse 29 she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. She's not without her faults. Mercy is not accepting immorality. Jesus acknowledges the sin that's going on, yet he accepts her as a person. Mercy acknowledges sin. It doesn't, it doesn't turn a blind eye to sin. At the same time, it looks beyond. And it says, listen, we've got to get to what's going on underneath. I'm going to tell you something. If we want to minister to people, we've got to understand that it's a process. Somebody doesn't just get saved and all of a sudden everything starts to go right in their life. If there's things that have been happening, oftentimes there are financial burdens, there are financial things that come into play. There, are, there is going to be relational things that they have to get worked out. There's going to be different circumstances that have to get worked out. We've got to be willing to journey with people and not just look at the outside and go, oh, that's a hopeless cause, forget about it. Or just think, you just need Jesus. Jesus does change things, but it's God's people and community that come alongside and demonstrate mercy and care and grace. Who gives a cup of uh, a cold water in my name does it unto me. You visited me in prison, you've done it unto me. You fed me when I was hungry, you've done it unto me. Mercy is willing to get involved in the mess and to be patient with people. Ephesians 4.2, be patient with each other, make allowance for each other's faults, because of your love. That's what mercy does. That's what mercy does. Thirdly, I got to get going. Choose my words carefully. 
Listen, there's, a, there's something that goes on here in this conversation. It's amazing because she, she's feeling the pain, she's feeling the hurt, and so she wants to deflect. That's what happens. Don't get discouraged. When you get in a conversation and, and you start to touch nerves, you'll find deflection happens. This is where the enemy is good at the distraction. She says, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is a place we ought to worship. Man, that's a classic diversion. Let's talk about religion. Let's talk about what I believe versus what you believe. Let's talk about this. Let's, let's do that. The problem is, is Jesus wants to get to the hearts. Don't get distracted by the peripheral. Don't, get, go, don't go down those roads. Guard against going down those roads and, and begin to, to say, listen, this isn't, about, this isn't about this. Here's where the real issue lies. This isn't about a place of where we worship. This is about who we worship and how we worship. John 4, 23 through 26, yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they're the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah, the one called the Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I, the one speaking to you, I am he. I am he. In the midst of a, a, a diversion tactic, Jesus says, let's get back to the real issue. The real issue is not where. The real issue is not, can we gather together in our building? All right? That's not the issue. That's not the issue. I'm glad for this building. I'm glad for the, 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 the air conditioning. Some of you wish we had a little less air conditioning this morning. But, you know, I'm glad. I'm glad for that. At the same time, if you go to some other countries where there's persecution and there's real persecution going on and real things going on, you'll understand that it's not about a building, but it's about God's people getting together. You can gather in a home, you can gather in a park where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am. Let's stop getting caught up in the wrong things. And let's start getting focused on what is really important, and that is the heart that goes into our worship. In spirit and in truth, what is on the inside? See, when we're focused on the outside, that's when we get into legalism, and that's when Jesus said, listen, 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 you're doing all of these religious things, but you have forgotten the weight of your matters, justice and mercy and faithfulness. Walking humbly, with your God. Humility. These are the important things. You say, well, I, got, I know, I got the knowledge. Okay, this is what James 3.17 says. The wisdom that comes from heaven is pure, peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. Wisdom is full of mercy. Full of mercy. There it is again. Wisdom is full of mercy. Gentleness. Gentle at all times. Peace-loving. Friends, when we talk, we've got to be careful the words that we communicate and how we say things. We've got to know the audience that we're talking to. We've got to know who's involved in the things that we're talking to. I've seen some conflicts play out, and I think, boy, I wonder how unbelievers really feel about coming to know Christ when they see the body of Christ argue and fight in this way on social media in front of everybody. Do we not take that into consideration? That the audience is not just believers, but the audience is also people that don't know Christ and what that might do to their perception of Christianity? Just saying. 
But it so changed everything. The woman said, I know that the Messiah, Jesus said, I am he. I'm the one speaking to you. And he, he reveals himself to her. And look what happens. The incredible mercy. Her life was changed. And so were those that were in her circle of influence. The woman left her water jar, went into the town and said to people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Can this be the Christ? One single act of mercy where others would not go. Others would not look, others would not listen, others would stay away. I'll let her go at noon to the well and just stay away from all of us when we try to go. We're just going to stay away from all of that. Jesus goes and the entire Samaritan village is impacted. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two more days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard ourselves and we know that this is indeed the Savior of the world. See, when you begin to move past those things that don't really matter and you get into, the, into where somebody's life is and you demonstrate the mercy of the Lord and Jesus reveals himself to them and, 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 and again, he begins to work in their lives, you will see that not only do they come to know Christ, but there is a circle of influence that also is impacted by the change that God makes in them, by the testimony. Our world is broken, our community is broken, but all too often we have blind spots Blind spots of prejudice and unwritten social barriers that, that keep us and prevent us from extending mercy. Sometimes we have truth, but we lack love. Sometimes we're distracted by arguing over non-essentials, all the while missing the opportunities in the harvest that is right in front of us. What does the Lord require of you? To do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you are encouraged and strengthened by God's Word. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, please visit PainesvilleAG.com.